0: time to roll up those joints, pack those bowls, and fire up those nails, because you're listening to Blazin' with Bobby Black on Cannabis
1: Radio. What's up all you hash heads and weed nerds? This is the Duke of Dank, Bobby Black, welcoming you to another episode of Blazin'. Thanks for listening, and I hope you all had a very stony weekend. And I hope you've all got something real good to smoke right now, because today's show is all about grow. In just a little while, I'll be speaking with master grower and author Drew West. But first, as usual, it's time for a quick rundown of some of the week's headiest headlines in a segment we like to call The Burndown.
0: Burning through the smoke and mirrors of the news headline.
1: We begin here in Cali, where it was announced last Friday that the University of California at Irvine is in the early stages of developing what could become one of the world's first interdisciplinarian cannabis research institutes. The idea is the brainchild of Dr. Danielle Piomelli, an anatomy and neurobiology professor who studies how cannabis works on the body. And it was announced by former Democratic state senator and university law professor at the university, Joe Dunn, at a roundtable talk on cannabis held this Friday. The idea behind the Institute is to study how cannabis intersects with every facet of human life, from the environment to criminal justice to culture, and of course, uh, human physiology. Uh, And it would include the university's School of Medicine, Law, Business, engineering, communications, applied innovation, and even film studies, among others. Sounds pretty interesting. The Institute plans to be independent and research-based, so they're going to remain politically neutral, they say. They will not be advocating for or against cannabis, merely uh, collecting data and uh, making it available to people. Uh, Dr. Piamelli hopes to have the Institute up and running within a year. And now it's over to Arizona where activists are beginning the process of trying to get recreational legalization on the ballot again this year. Voters narrowly voted down a similar proposal in 2016. Uh, Safer Arizona Cannabis Legalization Political Action Committee has filed paperwork with the Arizona Secretary of State's office to begin collecting signatures to get the measure on the ballot for November of next year. They will need to collect 156,042 valid signatures. That's a weird number. Like, who comes up with that number? (laughs) 156,042 valid signatures by July 5th of 2018 to qualify. That doesn't sound very hard. They got a whole year to work on it. Uh, Now let's go over to Michigan, where a similar effort has just gotten underway. Uh, The Coalition to Regulate Marijuana-Like Alcohol are also circulating a petition to get recreational use on the ballot for 2018. To make it, they'll need to get 252,523 signatures. Again, (laughs) where do they get these numbers? Uh, Within 180 days. Uh, the activist group MI Legalize tried to get a similar measure on the ballot last year, but though they had gathered more than enough signatures, they apparently did not submit them before the 180-day deadline. Uh, the group, uh, That same group, MI Legalize, has signed on again to help with this effort, as have uh, Michigan Normal, who plan to bring a small army of volunteers to try to gather all the necessary signatures and get them in on time. The provisions of this measure include a 10% excise tax uh, on retail sales, uh, in addition to the state's 6% sales tax, which would be a total of 16% uh, tax total. Uh, It also allows individual communities to decide whether or not they want to allow marijuana businesses. Uh, It includes a two and a half ounce limit on recreational cannabis purchases It allows individuals to possess up to 10 ounces in their homes only. Uh, It establishes three classes of growers, uh, one class uh, who can grow up to 100 plants, the second class up to 500, and the third up to 2,000. It also allows the Department of Licensing and Regulatory Affairs to regulate and license all facets of the marijuana industry, including growing, transporting, testing, and dispensaries, rather than the politically appointed licensing board that oversees the, their medical marijuana program. Uh, it's estimated that the taxes uh, generated would bring in between 100 and $200 million in revenues for the state, With 35% of those proceeds going to public education, another 35% to roads, 15% to the communities that allow cannabis businesses, and another 15% to the counties where cannabis businesses are located. Next, we head down to Florida, where despite the fact that voters passed a constitutional amendment legalizing medical marijuana in November, that law was stalled again this past Friday when lawmakers failed to pass legal legislation that would have created a framework for its implementation. A potential deal was in the works, but apparently it fell apart over a disagreement uh, over the number of dispensaries that would be allowed per medical marijuana operator. The Senate had initially proposed a cap of 10 per operator, but then the House amended that proposal to raise the cap to 100 per operator. Now, critics say that such a high number of dispensaries per operator would give an unfair advantage to the seven operators that already hold licenses rather than allowing uh, new uh, players into the market. The amendment allows doctors to prescribe marijuana as a treatment for patients with cancer, epilepsy, glaucoma, HIV, AIDS, PTSD, Uh, Crohn's disease, ALS, Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis, as well as some other debilitating conditions in which they deemed the benefits of marijuana use to outweigh the potential health risks. Now we have a rather unusual story uh, out of Georgia where one of the congressmen there, a Republican surprisingly, has allegedly been illegally running an underground medical marijuana network to help families who need it to obtain it. Uh, Representative Alan Peak, a devout pro-life Christian, was one of the champions of the state's medical marijuana program, which allows patients to possess cannabis, but offers absolutely no legal way of cultivating, purchasing, or importing it. I mean, what good is that? <laughs> what good is that law? You're allowed to have it, but you're not allowed to get it. That's sort of like the way it was in Amsterdam with the coffee shops. They're allowed to have a certain amount and they're allowed to sell it to customers, but there, there's no legal mechanism for them to technically get the cannabis. Anyway, according to a, uh, to the news organization, AZ family peaks office receives a box from Colorado filled with cannabis products once a month, but they claim they don't know how it gets there and they don't ask. That's pretty unusual. Uh, the, uh, the, Congressman then distributes this, uh, these products to over a thousand legal patients who are enrolled in the medical marijuana program and it's free of charge. He does not charge them. Uh, though he doesn't pay for the cannabis, he does make a contribution of around $100,000 a year to a foundation in Colorado that supports medical marijuana research. and Peak is hoping that uh, operating in this legal gray area will keep him from being charged with felony drug trafficking. You know, it's not often that I root for a Republican, but I think uh, what this uh, representative is doing is really uh, just noble and really great, Uh, and that's a a great example of compassionate conservatism at its finest, and uh, I applaud him and I wish him well. And finally now, uh, number one on the burndown this week, this past Saturday was the annual Global Marijuana March. Hundreds of thousands of activists in cities around the world made their voices heard in semi-coordinated protests to end prohibition. Uh, The main demands of the march include stopping arrests for use of cannabis in possession, allowing the medical use of cannabis, the stop of propaganda about marijuana, and an end to the prison state. Started in New York in 1999 by an old acquaintance of mine. Actually, it, it wasn't started in 1999. It was first called the, the Global Marijuana March in 99 because I remember going to the New York pot parade and pot uh, protest before that. But anyway, in any case, it was begun by an old acquaintance of mine, former yippee, uh, Dana Beale. Uh, who's a lifelong activist, and it has since expanded to over 800 cities across over 70 countries. Wow, including Paris, Chicago, Los Angeles, Phoenix, Denver, Toronto, Vancouver, Mexico City, San Paulo, Brazil. Wow, um, and of course in New York, uh, in the New York parade, uh, the march uh, began by, uh, by by Macy's by Herald Square and culminated down at Union Square. Uh, where several former High Times editors, including Steve Hager, Steve Bloom, and Paul DiRienzo, performed with their Temple Dragon band. Uh, sadly, this year was the first year that marijuana minstrel David Peel, who was a long standing staple of the march, was not there as he passed away uh, shortly before 420 last month, as I reported in a previous show. Sad, but uh, you know, nice to see that that march has been gaining lots of steam over the years uh, it's gotten bigger and bigger and uh, as someone who as I said used to go as a teenager uh, from Brooklyn I used to go into the city and uh, go participate in that uh, it, you know uh, it, it's really nice to see how far it's come and uh, I got to give it to Dana Beale for uh, you know sticking by his guns he's a he's a hardcore activist all right uh, and that's it for the burn down for this week uh, we've got a take a quick break but stick around because we'll be right back with my guest for this week uh master grower drew west don't go anywhere
0: you're listening to blazing with bobby black on cannabis radio network ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the cannabis radio social media network join our crew of thousands on our cannabis radio page on facebook or at canna radio c-a-n-n-a radio on twitter
1: All right, guys, and welcome back to Blazin'. My guest this week is a master grower from Oregon, the author of Secrets of the West Coast Masters, a book that sold over 10,000 copies worldwide. He's also a frequent contributor to High Times. Please welcome to the show Mr. Drew West. How's it going, Drew?
2: Hey, going great, man. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, thanks for being on, man. Uh, So um, you're from bend oregon is that correct
2: yeah that's right that's where i'm at right now uh,
1: are you originally from bend or is that uh, have you moved there
2: no yeah i was born here man um i think there were about ten thousand people in the city when i was born here so it's uh, been here been here for a while
1: yeah but oregon uh, uh where is bend exactly in comparison to some of the other cities because i'm not super familiar with bend
2: oh yeah man, it's like it's really dead center in the middle of the state it's um we call it Central Oregon The area here. It's basically high desert. We're surrounded by the volcanic peaks. It's a huge destination for skiers and outdoor enthusiasts and whatnot. Um, it's a really great place, man. Great quality of life, great people, great herb. That's something <laughs> we've always been pretty famous for. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, right now, I mean, we've got got a ton of dispensaries in town. It's uh, it's, it's pretty average place, know.
1: Yeah, I know that Oregon is like the hub of the glass blowing uh, glass art scene in the US. Uh, How how exposed were you to that uh, living there? And how much did that affect your, you know, your getting into marijuana culture?
2: Oh uh, Yeah, it's a huge part of the culture out here. I mean, so much of the glass blowing scene originated in Eugene, which is also Central Oregon, but they're on the uh, western side of the Cascade Mountains. And so Eugene, you know, you've got all the original, you know, Bob Snodgrass, you know, just the really, really key players, you know, uh, Jerome Baker back in the day. Um, you know, it's always been a huge part of the culture out here. I, I'm personal a glass collector. I've been... Lucky to make friends with a lot of the guys around here that are doing it, and I get to see the, you know, the the evolution of the art. See it go from you know basically just you know little glass bowls up to bubblers, and, and then we got the dab rigs, and now we've got these extravagant works of art, you know, functional works of art. A lot of it did did come out of Oregon here, man. Something we're definitely proud of.
1: Cool. And so you didn't d- go into the direction of the glass art. You instead went into the cultivation direction. Uh, tell us a little about what inspired you to start growing weed.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm essentially a third generation grower. Um, my my dad grew up, his parents grew and his dad did, and then I've I've always been around it. My uncle, I've got a brother that's twelve years older, and you know, growing up, he was always into it. It's just something I've always been always been into you know it's a big part of the big part of the culture around here and um you know we were the second state to legalize medical marijuana after california so once that got going and my family all got you know enrolled in that and and, you know been at it for a while i think i've been personally growing myself you know just on my own now for 17 years or something, you know, so been at it for a bit, but it's always been something that's just been around, you know, my parents never hid it from me. It was just a normal part of every day. you know. And it's just uh, never was a, never was a bad thing in any way, you know, so I always did that code to join in activism to get it legalized. It's not, you know, now here we are and any adult can go in the store and walk in and buy it, you know, so it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. Were you were you and your family at all involved with uh, how how active were you in the legalization community and helping to get the laws passed and stuff?
2: Um, not so much. I mean, I would definitely show up and show my support of a lot of the different things uh, that would happen. You know, I'm a member in Portland Normal, and uh, for a while I had my own radio show here on, in Bend. It was a live radio show that we did, It was mostly regular, but where I could work in you know cannabis into it, I did by uh right before they they kicked me off of you know on air grow tips and having strain of the week and, and all sorts of stuff like that that they didn't really want me doing um but that was right in the midst of the legalization effort in 2014 so anthony johnson uh the gentleman that drafted the, the bill to the legalized here i had him on a couple times and had some pretty uh, In-depth interviews with him, talking about it, and just you know, doing what we could to uh, to spread the word, um, get the information out there. I think was kind of the part that I played in it more so than any type of legislative efforts.
1: Right on. And before legalization passed, how under the radar did you and your family have to be? Was it something that was really super secret, or was it basically the community kind of? Was it more like uh, Northern Cali, where everybody in the community kind of knew what was going on?
2: Yeah, it was it was a bit more like that, you know. I mean we've never gone crazy you know, and the only thing too too extravagant, you know. We always have stayed within the you know, the, the confines of the medical laws and everything. And Oregon's pretty pretty liberal with that, you know. I mean they let us have, you know, tons of plants and whatever and that's kind of the what really inspired my book to be written in the first place is figuring out a way to stay legal in the medical program with the plant counts and still get the yields necessary to, you know, be profitable and to have enough medicine for your patients and, and to be sustainable. And, um, and so that's kind of, that's where, that's where the book came in. You know, I, I try to develop ways to really, really up the yields with fewer plants and in the title of the book is Secrets of the West Coast Masters, but it's ultimate techniques for growing medical marijuana and the, During the process of writing the book, I had a tremendous amount of support from people like Ed Rosenthal and Green Candy Press, Jorge Cervantes. And one thing that they all agreed on, though, is that I shouldn't put medical marijuana in the title of it because it was just common knowledge at the time that that was a deterrent, you know, to readers. And and people wouldn't buy the book as readily as if I put a big bud on the cover and, you know, just said how to grow weed or whatever, you know, so the, the medical part, was very important, and that's the innovation that I was trying to make to allow people to be legal and still get way bigger yields and bigger harvests than they were, and lessen the amount of work, and just, you know, and, and improve their process, you know, all intents and purposes, but, but um, yeah, so, I mean, to answer your question, I mean, we never had to fly under the radar too much, um, especially, you know, under the protections of the medical program, but... I know people that do. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, and you said you said you didn't put the medical marijuana in the title, but you did put it in your dedication. I noticed that right away in the first uh, first thing. But, it says the no, book. No,
2: I actually actually did go ahead and put it in the title um, of the book, and it caught, you know, against the advice that I got, you know, and it it didn't seem to didn't seem to hurt it too much, you know. Um, so you know, I'm glad I did.
1: They were worried that it would marginalize some people that wouldn't want to get it.
2: Yeah, they said that any time that like the publishing they they experimented with actually putting medical in the title that it was they'd see a drastic uh, reduction in book sales on that particular title or whatever, and it was just easier um, even the bookstores and whatever you know. But I was just that was kind of the point of my book, so I had to. Yeah, I didn't want to leave that out, you know
1: yeah, well, I'm glad that it didn't affect your uh, your sales. Um, I, uh, well, I remember when the book came out uh, because specifically because I was actually thanked in the book. so thank you, thank you for thanking me. Um, that was pretty cool uh, and and uh, I appreciate yeah, yeah, yeah. it that you uh, you I remember you sent me a signed copy like right away as soon as it came out. So uh, that was really cool as well. Um, we'll talk a little about the book. Um, this is the second edition that's out now, right? and you you added some things for the second edition. <laughs>
2: Yeah, the first edition came out. We printed 10,000 copies of it, but it was a hardcover. And then, so we decided, I mean, it was was getting tough with the shipping and everything. So we just went, printed a second edition with the paperback and updated it because, in the time that it passed, four or five years ago, we had three or four states come legal. We had different medical rules everywhere. I added a chapter about outdoor greenhouse growth that I did and some different experiments and things. And, we added some information about edibles and concentrates and you know CBD and just things that just things that had developed um, you know from 2010 when I wrote the original version and then to uh, 2015 where I put out the paperback. So I think it's uh, it's about time to probably do that whole process over again. So I'm working on working on a third book now.
1: Oh, cool! Yeah, we we'll have to, to tell us
2: about that. Uh... Yeah, for sure.
1: So the book the book is very DIY. It's very, very uh, easy to follow, easy to read, uh, and very well illustrated with lots of photos and diagrams and materialists and stuff. Would you say that the book is primarily targeted towards the small or home grower?
2: Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it totally is. I mean, we, we basically we give some diagrams and show people how to turn you know, the average size bedroom in your house into a grow room. Um, you know, just, that's really is what it's for. It's for, there's a lot of different, you know, efforts I made in the book. Like for instance, like the, the text, just the actual the font and the text is as large as I could print it. You know that, it, and it's, I wrote it, I wrote the book simply, you know, it's not, it's not for simple people, but I wrote it simply so anybody could understand it, you know? And I, and I wrote the letters big because, you know, there's sick people trying to learn this, you know, they, it's not, I just want it to be the information to be really available. So it is very visual. Um, it's very easy to understand. But, yeah, it is intended for the home grower, like a home medical grower. But a lot of the techniques, in fact, I mean, most of the techniques can just be scaled up to any size grow. And we've done that in the past. And if you you know, you know look around, you see in some of these big grows that are out there in the country in you know, Washington, Colorado. You'll see the plants that they're growing are actually exactly... The technique explained in the book, you know, so you can scale it up to, you know, an immense grow, but it's also perfect for someone that wants to just maybe do it in their closet or the garage or something like that.
1: Right. And the, so the title, The Secrets of the West Coast Masters, what it, it sounds intriguing, but what what are the secrets? Like, is, are there things, uh, are there techniques or are there uh, in this book that that readers won't find in other cannabis books that may have come before?
2: Uh, yeah, definitely not. And, and so the, the secrets are basically just the, the ideology and the methodology of how you train and manipulate the plants to produce a consistent... Um, you know, uh, yield that you can depend on. You know, what I mean, it's once you get that down, the actual techniques of how to how to train, bend the branches, and to you know to get all your tops to be identical, and you know, it starts to become more dependable. And there's. Things in there like, you know, as far as using the scrog, which is a, you know, a hoarded hoarded trellis. It's like a netting that we use to help train the plants and hold them up and give them support. And and we go really in depth in the book about exactly how you, how many branches you need on the plant, where you place the branch within this, within the scrog netting and and everything. So it basically tells you exactly everything you need to know without any guesswork. That's where the role the secrets are, you know.
1: And Scrog stands for screen of green, right?
2: Yeah, which is a play on the sea of green, which is you know, putting a ton of plants, you know, a ton of small plants in one area all next to each other to produce, you know, the sea of green. The screen of green This is a, a play on that, but you're using fewer plants with more branches that are more developed to fill that same canopy out to get the same type of yield that you would with multiple strains. Yeah,
1: multiple I remember when the... Oh, sorry. I remember when the sea of green uh, method first came out. I was working at High Times. It was years ago. Uh, I don't know if it was when it came out, but it was when it became publicly, uh, you know, uh, disseminated. I guess. Um, and so, this is basically a sim- similar principle, but slightly different.
2: Uh, yeah, for sure. It's just in the it's using the fewer plants, like using like one plant within a four by four area of that of that scrog. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier about other books not having the information in it prior to that. If you if you look up um Jorge Cervantes encyclopedia that he put out, there's a page dedicated to to my my what I'm doing in my book and and he says to go to look for that for information on Scrooge. Also, um Kay from Tricone Technologies put out an excellent book a couple years ago. And um I think there's two or three pages in there that he put just about the book that said that, you know, I'm not gonna be able to explain it better than it is here. You know, go ahead and check out Drew rest book when it comes to the scrogging and stuff. So it's it's been a real honor for people like that to recognize that the information necessarily is within my book, you know, it doesn't need to be reiterated. Um, so that's that's basically you know where the real value is.
1: And these techniques that you help pioneer, they're they are basically geared towards maximizing yield, right?
2: Yeah, definitely. And consistency. Consistency is a huge thing that I think is overlooked quite a bit, you know. But yield and consistency and reducing the amount of labor that goes in.
1: Now, are the methods that you outline in your book good for all types of strains and and, and plants, or is it better for certain types of plants?
2: Um, I'd say that in my experience, I found that some of the hybrids, not to be much, I mean, like sixty forty city, CD, the dominant hybrids tend to be, have the branching capabilities to do really well and the veg really fast and to fill up this, the scrog and to get the, you know, the form that I'm looking for. Indica plants tend to grow a little bit shorter branch to answer your question yeah, there are certain strains that don't work super well with this some strains don't like to be topped they're not, it's a small percentage of strains, I'd say that if I had a rough guess, I'd say 80 to 90% of the strains that I've ever used this method with um, perform just fine, you know, some produce um, larger than others but basically it's like if you grow a plant just by itself and it makes it you know, a regular Christmas tree, a little cola or whatever. Whatever size that bud is, you know, is pretty much what you're gonna get on each one of your tops when you when you grow the plant according to my methods. You know, so you can it doesn't really affect the amount of yield that you would get. Um, basically growing the plant large like that doesn't decrease the size of the buds at all. And so it's it really yeah, so I mean, to, but to answer your question, I mean, there are certain strains that I found that just don't want to do it. they take too long to veg, or they just don't like to be topped, or they don't like to stretch out into the scrog, or or whatever. But those are typically like really heavy indica plants, which yeah, you know, there's not a lot of that in circulation.
1: Cool. And so you cover uh, all different mediums in your book as well, right? Soil, hydro, and aeroponics too. I think.
2: Yeah, a little bit. We touch on that. That's, um, yeah, soil, cocoa, hydro. We do some, give some instructions for, you know, building your own deep water culture. Uh, you know, uh, just how are you? We've got a couple of different things. You can make your own clone machine and uh, just, you know, low cost things. You can go to Home Depot and grow a store and pick up, you know, build your own stuff, save a couple hundred bucks type thing, you know. But uh, I do have an emphasis on growing organically. You know, I like I do, prefer you know soil, and we do talk about um, you know the soil food web, and you know how to feed your soil, and um, you know stuff like that. But it's we do definitely touch on all different mediums in the book.
1: And and just briefly, could you explain the difference between? I think most people, obviously, everyone understands soil. Most people understand hydro, but aeroponics. I think that maybe outside of the the, you know, weed nerd, uh, botanical nerd community, maybe some people don't understand. Uh, can you explain a little bit of the difference between hydro and, and aeroponics?
2: I mean, aeroponics isn't something that's really well known because, I mean, it, it's just very difficult. I mean, we, I did it at a giant warehouse. and it, we we got it. It's still going. Um, but it's it's just it takes so much labor, and everything has to be so dialed, and it takes so much equipment. And, um, you know, you're... Water levels and temperatures have to be just right, and but the main difference is hydroponics is typically the plant will be in like a a rock wool medium, or it'll be in um, clay pebbles, or or something where it's in there. And there's different methods of hydroponics. Sometimes there's a flood table where they'll be sitting in in a tray, and every so often, you know, a few times a day, the tray will fill up with the nutrient mixed water and then sit there for a minute and then it'll drain back out, you know, and that waters the plants or, um, you know, sometimes it'll be in a bucket system with a recirculating water that's running through it all the time. Um, sometimes it's fed from the top with like a halo dripper. The idea of hydro is that it's just constantly in, in contact with the water the aeroponics is different because it delivers the water on like a, like a nanoscale. It breaks down the, to do it effectively, you have to get the the water particles down to about like 5,000 microns to get it small enough to where when they hit the roots that they're immediately taken up. And so it's, it creates more of a mist like you'd see at the produce section at the grocery store and, but on a much higher pressure. And so it'll be, the plants will be contained in some kind of vessel and within that we'll have the sprayers. And so that's on a timer. And then this every, ever so often, however their feeding schedule is they get the roots get misted and that's it. They never, they're never sitting in water and then when they're not being misted, they're basically just suspended in the air. But within the vessel itself, it keeps a humidity level and a temperature that allows them to still thrive. But it feeds the plants completely different because it feeds them like directly with the nutrients because they're not in contact. There's no soil biology. There's no, yeah, I mean, to a degree, there is some beneficial bacteria and funguses that are present like just in the system. but it's far different than eating your plants with a like compost tea or nutrients, you know, like that. But, um, it's, it's, you know, it's rather complicated. It works well. In my experience, I won't, it really warrants the extra labor that goes along with it. I mean, I, um, it grows great, great flower for sure. Uh, it's easy to flush. That's one of the, one of the advantages of the aeroponics, but it's uh, it's pretty difficult and it's not for, not for beginners, that's for sure. And it's not for, not for a home grower. It's, you need to have a facility dedicated to it. You can keep the sanitation, you know, just right. And the, the climate and control all the different parts of the atmosphere. But it's, uh, <clears throat> yeah, but aeroponics is very, very interesting. I mean, I don't think it's going to go away. I think it goes, will be seeing, more of it here and there, but I I personally, setting up a large facility or something, I'd be more inclined to go with uh, just soil or uh, basic hydro system.
1: Yeah and, and like we said your book is mainly geared towards a more a more beginner home grower. Uh so if someone were to set up a uh want to set up their own first garden uh using some of the techniques and materials that you outline in your book, what would you say would the uh, the an average initial investment for for a, a little home grow for someone would be?
2: Well, that can definitely range. I mean, as your biggest investment's going to be in your growing equipment, you know, the types of lights and ballasts and bulbs you choose. Uh, you decide to go hydroponics, that's going to be some more expenses there in buying the equipment as opposed to just a, a pot and some soil. Uh, but, you know, for a for a small medical or a, a rec grow or something, I would expect to spend, to do it right, you're going to want to have like 2000 to $3,000 and that's kind of on a On a low end, once you get everything, and it's going to depend on where you live whether or not you're going to need an air conditioner, whether or not you're going to need a dehumidifier or a humidifier, you know, if your room needs to be retrofitted or if you're going to buy a a grow tent. And, you know, there are a lot of different variables, but um, it's definitely not inexpensive to grow. But once you get it going, you, know, you spend a couple thousand dollars or whatever, and you pull down a few pounds, and you're totally in the black, you know, for a while. You know, so then everything you spend after that, you know, instead of buying it, you know, I mean, it, it adds up. You know, so it's uh, the initial investment can be a bit much, but it just uh, once you have a little bit of success, it seems to, you know, wash out.
1: Yeah, what would you say is the most common mistake that new growers tend to make? And your experience?
2: Yeah, I think the absolute most common thing would be overfeeding, trying to trying to increase the quality of their plant with stuff they buy at the grocery store. You know, like uh, new growers are just like marks for for grocery store salespeople. You know what I mean? they want to do the best. They want to have the best. They don't want to spare any expense, you know, and they just buy they all these like supplements and they end up watering it too fast. They have this expectation that the plant's going to grow you know, three or four inches in a night and it doesn't. And they go out and buy some more stuff to try to counteract with it, you know, and it's, and they just forget that it's not that complicated, you know? And, and so that, that's definitely the number one thing. Just over watering, you know, people are so attached to them and, They get very emotionally attached to them, and you know, if they feel like their seeds (laughs) are drooping or or something, people just immediately try to go into like, you know, corrective mode. And and the plants just, you know, they just do their own thing. You know, it's like it is essentially, you know, it does take a little bit more care, but it, yeah, that's, that's the number one thing, you know, and I'd say beyond that, it's just a small small mistakes they've made in setting up their rooms, you know, just in wrong wrong temperature and stuff like that. All
1: right, well, we're going to take a quick break, uh, but we'll be right back with more from Drew West right here on Blazin'.
0: You're listening to Blazin' with Bobby Black on Cannabis Radio.
1: All right, and we are back, and today we are blazing with master grower Drew West, author of The Secrets of the West Coast Masters. Um, and you know that title, uh, master grower. I hear that a lot. Um, and you mentioned a couple of gentlemen before the break, uh, Ed Rosenthal and Jorge Cervantes, who are definitely in that category of master grower. What exactly does what makes a master grower a master grower? And is is who gets to who gets to decide if they're a master grower or a you regular know, to,
2: grower? To be complete, yeah. To be honest with you, man, I don't really have the answer to that question. It's not, that's not a title I throw around for myself. You know, it seems a little pretentious, really. Um, but some people, you know, you can become a master chef. You can become a master whatever, you know. I mean, And then if that's – there's some people who, you know, that's just – they like to – that's what they want, you know. But myself, personally, I don't need that title. I don't – you know, there's people that are better than me out there. You know, there's people that are doing – crazy stuff you know I mean this this plant has evolved so much and people have evolved along with it um, but to call yourself a master I mean i I kind of would fear that because you I think that you don't have anything else to learn you know and that would be that'd be foolish in my opinion cause there's always more to learn I'm always learning more um you know every time I do an event get on the stage the panel you know with other other so expert growers, you know, I, I always learn something. So, uh, yeah, again, you know, the, that term, I think it's something people like to put on their LinkedIn account, you know, <laughs> or, or whatever. But to me, it's, it's, yeah, you'll never hear me introduce myself like that.
1: You mentioned events, and uh, obviously uh, you and I have run into each other at a lot of events, but the one that stands out in my mind is recently the uh, Hawaii Cannabis Expo that we were both at. I got to moderate the All-Star Grow panel that you were on, along with Danny Danko and Ed Rosenthal. That was a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, the Hawaii the scene out there in Hawaii is so great. I mean, they're so enthusiastic. And just, they're really excited about the plant and the access to it. And it's about the people and the... You know, I really love that. It's, it reminds me of what Oregon, California, Washington was like you know, 18 years ago. And it's, uh, it's just a pleasure to be out there and, you know, top nations. You know, we did the event the first time two years ago, and I was out there, and, I mean, there would never been anything like that ever. I mean, there would never been an opportunity for them to buy shoes or ask questions or go to a, to a seminar, you know, so people are just so stoked on it. And you can feel the love, you know, so... Yeah, that's that has to be one of my. That's probably my favorite stop of the year for sure. But, I mean, obviously it's more the windmills of Hawaii, also. You know,
1: <laughs> yeah, obviously you've also been involved in a lot of High Times events, as we mentioned. You're a regular contributor to High Times. Uh, when did you first get involved in, with High Times?
2: Not long after the book came out. I kept uh, shooting shooting guys pictures and stuff, and I think um, one of my Blue City Diesel pictures got published as like the butt of the month or something. Um, and then, so I started some correspondence and I sent some books over and, uh, Danny Danko was, he was pretty keen on it and got in touch with me and invited me eventually, I think in like 2012 to be on, uh, on the first panel in San Francisco, um, back, you know, it was pretty, pretty, that was towards the beginning of the, the cannabis cup, U S cannabis cup circuit. And uh, yeah, just kind of hit it off with everybody got to meet you and we meet everybody and started to do some judging and started submitting some articles and and now it's like I pretty much go to everyone on the west coast and usually a spot for me on the you know on the uh, cultivation panel and Our last one down in l a that was a lot of fun got to got to be on the cultivation panel with Danny and subcool and uh, j j from Top dog food and I was you know talk about learning stuff. And uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, they've been nothing to do to me. I got to uh, to announce the best flower awards at the ceremony. That was awesome. Um, So yeah, I'm totally stoked on High Times. They're always super good to me. Looking forward to the show in Santa Rosa coming out at the end of the month here.
1: So I know you've gotten a judge uh, at a bunch of cups, but have you ever tried to enter anything? I mean, are are you a breeder too, or are you just a grower bird
2: pretty much? I do just like low-key breeding. I I basically focus on something that's not really popular in the breeding scene. I, I've been, for the last five years, I've been trying to work with uh, THCV-rich strains, and I've been developing and breeding different strains and trying to up the potency of the THCV. Um, I haven't really done much for commercial stuff. Um, there have been a couple that I've had in attempts to... Make strains that came out, you know, that were pretty dank. Like I did a Jack the Ripper times headband cross. It was too good to not not share. So I've made some of those packs available to the public and stuff in the past. But not a not a breeder per se. More just a just a grower.
1: What are your favorite strains to grow and to smoke?
2: I just to get it out of the way. I mean, I, of course, everybody likes OG. You know, I love that good Southern Cali OG. But beyond that, I really I really like sativas um you know i like just you know just like durban poison is definitely one of my absolute favorite strains we smoke that all the time um just you know i've got a maui wowie strain that i love uh, it, you know picking a favorite strain is tough you know i'd have to break it down into like subcategories and stuff <laughs> and that. but i i am i do like the kind of exotic sativas and uh, we don't get to grow a lot of that. I mean, we don't get to really. We never get to grow it outside here because it just gets too cold too soon. You know, we know when I can throw a couple of those in the corner and get those going, that's that's typically my favorite smoke. Um, I mentioned headband earlier. That'll always be that'll always be one of my go-to's as well. Cool. But you know, there's there's just too many to name.
1: Cool. So, so what's on the horizon for you? You said you have a new book coming out. Uh, do, are you doing any consulting work or anything like that? Like, tell us about what you got coming up.
2: Yeah, the consulting has actually been a thing. You know, there's a lot of South California and back to do their legalization last year, and you know, there's been some activity out in Hawaii. We get to go around and do legislative consulting, actually. Um, startup consulting for growers uh kind of you know a few clients but pretty selective who i work with um it's really important for me to have the feeling that they're going to be successful you know because i don't want to put my name on it uh but the people that that i can work with yeah we've we've done some some pretty amazing things but consulting something i look forward to doing some more in the future but i'm definitely um working on this new book you know i'm going to it's not going to be a third edition, or it's just going to be a new book, and it's going to just be more of a complete, comprehensive, more of like the Bible style that everybody's used to, but in my style, you know, and in and, and both the books before all the photos that are in there, are, you know, I've not used any stock footage or any, you know, reader submitted type photos or anything, so I try to put everything together myself, so that that takes time, but um, I just want to show that I can do everything that I'm telling people that they can do, you know? And, uh, so I'm doing that. So the new book, you know, I expect it to come out sometime if I, if I stay at this place, you know, 2018, mid 2018, maybe 420, Who know. Um, oh. and, um, just finding myself down in the California, Southern California area more lately. Um, you know, just with everything that's going on. So I don't know, a lot of stuff coming up, who knows? You know, that's, uh, but that I'll, Alive,
1: well, you should hit hit me up when you're going to be in SoCal. We should get together.
2: Yeah, absolutely, man. You know, I was kind of thinking that we, um, last time we bumped into each other was down in San Bernardino. We just kind of happened to be standing next to each other during the uh, <laughs> Corey's Angels conference, uh, <laughs> Corey Feldman, never, man. Who would have guessed they would book that. him to play?
1: That was pretty crazy, man. Yeah, it's it it's was amazing. Like what we were saying, like if it was performance art, you might want to say, "Wow, it's kind of cool." But to know that it's he's taking it like seriously, it's it's just it's a silly. I don't know. I don't know what to make of it.
2: Uh, it, it was it was just bizarre, but it, it was uh, it was cool to watch that with you. <laughs>
1: yeah, right on. So tell people uh, where where can they uh, find your book and your other uh, products and follow you online.
2: Oh, yeah, it's uh, westcoastmasters.com. dot a website to get the book and to contact me i'm on um instagram drew west 420 Um, find me on facebook drew west and yeah just you know check out high times magazine whoever not too hard to find me
1: Cool, man. Well, uh, we look forward to uh, checking out your new book. And for those of you out there who have not yet uh, checked out his book, Secrets of the West Coast Masters, once again, is the title. Uh, by all means, do check it out, especially if you're looking to get into growing. It's really a very, very easy uh, and, and straightforward and just really well uh, well thought out, well put together uh, guide for, for growing. So, uh, Drew, thanks so much for taking time out to talk with us today. We really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon.
1: And you can find links to Drew's book and website and all that good stuff on our Facebook page, com slash Black. And while you're there, uh, give us a like. Leave us some feedback. Let us know who you would like to see as a guest on Blazin. Also, if you have a product that you would like us to review here on Blazin, you can hit us up on the Facebook page about that as well be sure to follow me on social media, Facebook and Instagram at BobbyBlack420, Twitter at Bobby Black. I also have a new YouTube channel. You can find a link to it on my Facebook and Instagram. So please click on over and subscribe. And that's going to be about it for this edition of Blazin'. Thanks to our sponsors, 420 Science the most trusted head shop online. You can check out all their cool stuff at 420science.com. And of course, thanks to all you Black Lights for tuning in and talking up with us again this week. Until next time, this is Bobby Black saying, Blaze on and peace off.